Hello and welcome to the fourth episode of Project Studio Tea Break. My name is Mike Senior and I am back here with composer and musical director John Witten and we will be taking our pointiest of sticks and poking the Project Studio world to see if it makes funny squeaking noises. Hello, John. <laughs> Good morning there, Mike. How are you? I'm doing very well. What have you been up to this month? This month, I have been outside because it's a glorious, glorious summer here in Berlin. And I've been You've got playing... to be careful with that, you know. Why is that? Well, they say never trust a mix engineer with a suntan. <laughs> I, I think it's fair that no one would trust me as a mix engineer. I, I think that's an entirely accurate, <laughs> entirely accurate statement. There. So you just wanted to advertise in the shop window, don't trust me as a mix engineer. Yeah, fair enough. Feel free to give me, give me these jobs, but just don't expect anything particularly special back um and i have been playing ping pong obsessively we've got a couple oh, of wow. tables just outside our house oh epic and i went out for a bit of fun but i have been being slowly initiated into this cadre of incredibly serious mostly men who treat this as the sport of kings right and who can give you a backspin smash that'll set your head reeling and it's quite fun yeah yeah definitely i, I get that I get that entirely yeah i used to play played a lot of ping pong when i was a when i was at school Oh, really? Not too much ping pong, actually, I think. (laughs) Is there any such thing? I don't think there is any such thing. No. I play a bit now when I go on holiday, because you go to a campsite that has little uh, table tennis stuff. Oh, good stuff. Although I've been getting more into into beach volleyball now. Really? I think you pull off that bikini. I'm looking at some pictures now. Did a quick Google image. You in the sunglasses and and the tight bikini. Yeah. It's... um... I mean, the real downside is just how much baby oil I have to use. Is it fair to say that there is none left for the baby when when you are done done making yourself into a glistening beach pearl? Yeah, I get complaints from the other players because I don't have to jump because I'm too tall. I think okay, that's among the reasons you get complaints from the other players. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah too slippery. I I am gonna need that as a live stream. I think I think video documentation has got to go up on the Patreon of a glistening Mike Senior on a Project Studio Tea Break sponsored outfit. Yeah, yeah. How about you? How have you earned your tea break this month? Oh, I think I have. I've been doing kind of lots of things, desperately trying to get some mixing done and getting sidetracked from it at every possibility with all sorts of other things coming in. It's mm-hmm. a ridiculous thing about uh, freelance life is that you go, okay, right, this week I'm going to do some mixing and then you get there and then you have to answer a phone call and then someone <laughs> rings you up and says that this is broken and oh, it's just uphill battle. Yeah, no, it, it can be ridiculous. and I may not have earned it, but I'm ready for that. Completely. I'm prime. Have you ever had the situation when you're doing a bit of mixing mm. and maybe... Maybe this is just my tan talking here. But the other day I was working on a mix and I'd turned everything off just to fiddle with some settings. Mm. And my ears were feeling so tired. And I realized that I'd left the kick drum playing and that I'd spent 10 minutes not realizing I was listening to this thumping <laughs> kick drum in my ears just because it had become so background to me. Yeah. And I decided to go to bed at that point. That seemed to me like a good moment <laughs> Very idea. to call it a day. Um, you stopped noticing the kick drum. Yeah, it was the heartbeat of the universe at that point, Mike. <laughs> I, it was nothing and everything. <laughs> ugh, ugh. This month, the news shakedown. Oh, it's like, it's an embarrassment of riches. And the <laughs> NAMM show has started, it's kicked off. We're getting deluged with press releases and product videos. And it's hard to choose between them in terms of what is the silliest press release and <laughs> silliest video that comes out. So, I'll, I'll, I'll just take them in turn. Right, the first one, this is a collaboration between Yamaha and Rupert Neve Designs. 
Now, Rupert Nee, of course, has this reputation of being the god of great-sounding audio things, particularly associated with uh, units that have transformers. Okay. And Steinberg are now owned by Yamaha, mm-hmm. and they've put out a couple of audio interfaces, like a two-input and a four-input interface. Okay. And the big selling point of these interfaces is that they have Rupert Neve's designs transformers in the mic preamps. In the guts. Okay. Uh, that sounds exciting. That sounds like the kind of thing you can yeah. sell. Right. I, I don't right. see any potential for silliness here at all. Like, yeah. I, I just see... I can see that. I see a solid product, well-designed and excitingly <laughs> delivered. Except, do you remember, I think the fashion's changed now, but about 10 years ago, maybe, mm-hmm. it seemed like everything was coming out with a valve. Oh, and, and a window so you could see it. Yes, and it would glow. <laughs> and in fact, we did actually find some products when we were reviewing things at Sound on Sound, where there wasn't a valve in it, but there was a little grill with an LED behind it to make it look like there was a valve no. in it. Yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I saw a product that did that. And there were some valves that were run at such a low voltage that they didn't glow anyway, and they put an LED in there to make it look like it was glowing. Oh, wow. Okay. We called it the marketing valve. It was really there for no other reason than to make some vanilla bit of equipment look like it was worth buying. Like it would be the analogue, this was the analogue magic. And it just seems to me like they've done it again with this Transformer thing. I mean, actually... How much difference does a transformer really make? The microphone preamps aren't Rupert Neves' designs. They're the classic Yamaha things. These things are $200 a channel or $165 a channel for the interface. And that includes all the digital stuff, all the, you know, drivers, all that, all that development work at $200 a channel. Okay. Now, how much of that money <laughs> is going to have been paid to Rupert Neves' designs for their transformer? And how much is left for any of the rest of it? So basically, you've got a pretty vanilla preamp okay. going through a transform, which makes precious little difference. Or it should normally make precious little difference. Right. But the thing with marketing valves is that they were always overdriven to make them sound more valvey than they normally would. There we go. So they did have an effect. It's possible they've done the same with the transformer. <laughs> Honestly, it's that that is not going to make the difference. Between a halfway decent audio interface and not. Oh, God, no. So would, would, you, be, <laughs> would you be more comforted if these were coming in around a couple of grand? Because then you'd think that the rest of of the kit was kind of up to scratch with the Transformers. Uh, to a little bit. I mean, if you look at their Neve Portico things that have the all the Neve stuff in it, mm. they're looking more like three times that price, okay. $600 a channel, uh, okay. without any of the Digi stuff, without the converters, without the all the stuff that goes inside the box and the socketry and all that kind of thing. So it just seems to me like they can't be spending money in a way that really matters. Mm. If they're plumbing that into a transformer and it costs that little. It sounds like the experience I have when someone tells me very excitedly that they managed to get a guitar with a pickup inside it and like some cool EQ thing up on the top <laughs> and, um, and a couple of pedals thrown in for £100. And I think... My God, I wish you very well, but I don't think any of them are going to work. I don't think you've got a halfway decent guitar. I think you've got an awful pickup, badly installed. The EQ I wouldn't touch. The whole guitar will catch on fire. Yeah, <laughs> this is a horrible suspicion. But the thing is that they're selling it so hard. Really? I mean, the, the product picture that was there with the news item that I saw, I, mean, I saw it in the, in the front page of SOS, it had the interfaces, and there on the top were the little transformer blob things that they, that they plug in with a little feet on them that you plug into the circuit board. <laughs> That was the star of the show. That's what's worth thinking about. On the front panel of the interface, Mm -hmm. you can switch the Transformers in and out. uh, Why? (laughs) I mean, honestly, what other bit of gear can you switch the Transformer in and out of? (laughs) 
I mean, yes, I suppose maybe there's a different flavour, but God, I mean, that's not the difference, surely. But I think the fact that you can switch it in and out isn't actually really because they want to give you the option to switch it in and out. It's just so that they can have a button on the front that says Transformer and the Rupert Neve Designs logo so they can <laughs> shout about, it's Rupert Neve Designs! Just in case you missed the memo, just in case you managed to not be sure what was inside of this. They need to have it in neon. Oh, it's so ridiculous. But this goes on to a point that I constantly go on about with all these interface products, is that how long does an interface actually last? I mean, I've had audio interfaces that have gone on for maybe five years or so, but after a while, you know, the USB format upgrades, or I switch operating system and it's not supported on the drivers. So those transformers, and let's say for a moment that they're like $50 each, hmm. that means you spent $100 that at some point you're just going to have to throw away. Yeah. And it's actually the same with the, with the mic preamp technology. When you throw that interface away, you're not just throwing away the interfacing connection, you're throwing away the, the analog circuitry, you're throwing away the transformers, all the circuitry, and that, that increasingly to me just makes no sense in a long-term Project Studio way. Hmm. But actually it makes much more sense to have external analog equipment, your preamps, whatever you're going to use, external AD conversion, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then just a digital cable that goes to a really simple <laughs> interface. So then when you chuck the computer away, all that stuff still works. All of it stays. Because it's got a lifespan of 20 years at least, and that'll outlast any audio interface standard. That's so interesting because that makes a lot of sense, but it also rings very true that none of the manufacturers are going to be promoting that system because the problem is that lasts for 20 years before you need a new one, Mike. Oh, yeah. That's the <laughs> awful situation there. <laughs> Heresy. Support the industry. <laughs> Buy built-in obsolescence. And, and you're stuck with whichever Transformers you've got into bed with for the next fifth of a century. Yeah. Um, yeah. I want to see that poster. I think we'll get that up on Twitter with some appropriately heraldic... <laughs> it's just such a silly product. I just, I, I just despair of products like that. But it is not the silliest product. I mean, I thought that this might be the first winner of our Straight to Landfill Awards. <laughs> God, that's a depressing award. <laughs> I think we've got to have it, because there's so few people are saying this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. But there's a much more of a slam dunk one this month. Even more? Oh, yeah. This is just a corker. Right, this is from TC Electronic. Now, TC Electronic are a great company. They do lots of good products. Mm -hmm. And there is one particular product that is a classic product of theirs okay. that was made in the mid-'80s called the TC2290. And it was, at the time, an absolutely cracking product. It was at a time when it was very difficult to make digital delays. Mm -hmm. And for like five or six grand, you could buy this TC box and it gave you a stereo digital delay of up to 30 seconds. 32 seconds, I think is the exact figure. And furthermore, that just like the AMS devices at that time, it wasn't just that you could have a delay that long, you could also sample mm. and you could loop the sample, right? So the delay line was also a sample. Okay. I mean, that link back in the 80s was very strong. It's been diluted later on as memory and everything got cheaper because you didn't need to double up like that. Right. But right. also, each of the delay lines, you could modulate the delay time. So all of a sudden, you could get chorusing, flanging, all those kinds of effects. Amazing. And you can modulate the amplitude. So you could get auto panning, tremolo so it was a great all-purpose modulation delay device wow it sounded great had a lovely warm sound mm -hmm. and it also had a specific way in which you could create a ducking delay in one box and so people loved it for that wow so that you could put loads of delay on something as an effect yeah, yeah. but then when the dry signal was there it wouldn't interfere with the lyric intelligibility or with whatever it wouldn't get in the way and then just in the gaps it would bubble up that sounds great. I might I might have to pop on eBay for one of these. Yeah, it was a cracking device. Mm. And it's had such a long history in studios. I mean, you'll still walk into big studios and there'll be a 2290 there in the rack. Amazing. It's a very kind of characteristic look. Mm. 
Now, what would you as a plug-in manufacturer <laughs> think if you had such a classic thing in your back catalogue? I don't know. I don't know, Mike. I know. I've got an idea. What, what's your thought? What's your thought? It's crazy, but it might just work. Let's do the board meeting. What's, what is this young maverick going to pitch how about, at me? Okay. How about we make a plug-in version of it? Oh, okay. No one's done that before. Like it. It's a mm. bold new move. Super. Right? So fundamentally what they've done is that they've analysed the shit out of it and actually done a really nice model of the TC2090 Deluxe. Okay. It sounds just lovely and warm and evolving and all that kind of stuff that you would expect of the original thing. I feel like we've wandered onto this minefield before, Mike. <laughs> Taken a happy little stroll oh, yeah. into this very war zone. <laughs> but no, you're full of optimism, so tell me more about this really lovely plugin. <laughs> the plugin itself is a lovely idea and it sounds great. Top dollar. But what they've done is they're shipping it with a little hardware controller version. <laughs> A USB thing that you plug in, it's about the size of a computer keypad. Okay. And it's styled exactly like the original unit. I mean, it's had to be shuffled around physically, but it looks very similar. Okay. Now, on the, this element of it just seems to me to be totally dark. <laughs> What are they thinking? There's so much great video content about this stuff. For a start, mm. I saw this product video that uh, Sweetwater, the American equipment retailer, have made to showcase this product. Mm. And they're there, they're sat in front of it, and they're kind of demonstrating stuff like, yes, you can switch through presets with the ink deck keys. <laughs> you can... <laughs> can use the numeric keypad to enter in delay times. Oh, and it, and no. the thing is, it retains all the little LED or kind of LCD, yeah, yeah, the, I don't know what they're called, displays like on the original. Yep. And they're like multi-purpose, so you're forever switching. It's like Switching between the different views. It is like the S950 oh, interface God. that I was talking about before. What about that bit of hardware is easier to use yeah. than the little numeric keypad on your actual keyboard on your computer? Yeah, yeah, or whatever. And there's not even a knob. Mm. So if you want to like increase the delay time, you have to go <laughs> multi-press the button like you're playing like Daily Thompson's Decathlon back on the Commodore 64. For our younger listeners, please insert um, Flappy Bird as your reference of choice there. <laughs> there you go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're here to translate for me with with the youth. I Mike, I am I am afraid that we are laboured with a dark curse of prophecy. I think we are because we saw this coming and we joked about it. We laughed that maybe this would be next. Now we're here and Rome's burning, <laughs> and and what the hell? It's not even like you know if you're working live. Buttons aren't that much use on a delay either. Mm. It really, it would be better to have knobs. <laughs> and the thing doesn't have knobs. doesn't have faders. Completely. doesn't have real-time controls. It just has buttons, which you have on your keyboard anyway. I like hardware. I, I, I like having something kind of chunky to move around. Yeah, I get that. But yeah, I don't know who it is out there who's hungering for the days when, as you say, you had to kind of multi-tap. But it gets worse. <laughs> oh, God, what's it next? It does get worse. Right, there are various other things. Firstly, it is a dedicated hardware controller for one plugin. Now, is delay and modulation, no matter how good it is, really worth having a dedicated controller for? Mm. I mean, how many plugins do you have? I mean, I have regularly like 50 on a project. It's basically building your analog studio back up as USB controllers. <laughs> it's like, yeah, I want a digital studio for all the great things it does, but I want to have loads of analog gear around again. You can have a whole box full of things. Well, I have one for my reverb and one for my delay and one for my... Hopeless. Have you ever had the thoughts as you set up for a project, I just have too many available USB slots. <laughs> exactly. You know what's 
pissing me off. The, num <laughs> the amount of available real estate in my whole USB zone. And just to like underline this point, what you're saying is, let's say I really do just love controlling things with this pad. I can't just assign it other parameters of other plugins. Not as far as I can see. Wow. I mean, maybe they'll make that as an option. I mean, as long as you don't need to use knobs or faders or anything. <laughs> Just so stupid. <laughs> that's that's incredibly stupid. There's more. There's more. Right. Oh, this my... thing is about the size of a numeric keypad, and you know you can get those standalone numeric keypads for like laptops that don't have. Them. I have one. It's lovely. But a normal numeric keyboard has like four keys across it. Mm -hmm. This has ten keys across oh, it my God. with gaps in between them. So what you're talking about is a, is a calculator here. Pretty it's like much. One of those small calculators. Okay. It should ship with like a pencil sharpener <laughs> for your fingers if you've got <laughs> if you've got oh, big my thick God. fingers. <laughs> That is an image that will stick with me. They're like half the width of the keypad ones on my on my little uh, netbook, for example. Wow. It's fiddly and it's black. So if you're live, you won't be able to see absolutely <laughs> anything on it. I mean, you'll see the little LED things that, that are kind of coming out, but you'll see nothing of the thing itself. So that's an absolute crock as well. And Sweetwater have another absolute humdinger. On the video, it says, many of the functions and parameters are only accessible via the hardware controller. No! <laughs> so no! if you're working mobile or, or if you, know, you don't fancy using the controller, you don't have any desktop real estate, there's certain things you won't be able to do. Oh. <laughs> as in, I can't do it digitally. As in, I can't just come onto the computer where I've installed the plugin and have complete access. It seems not. Or, I mean, maybe, maybe Sweetwater are lying. Maybe he doesn't know the product. But it seems to me, if it does do that, then that is even more stupid. That, I mean... I mean, there's nothing that makes a computer more stable than more USB devices connected to it as well. <laughs> For live use, that is a big point. Stabilize your computer, you stick as many USB devices in it as you can. No, I, I know live technicians who, so if their performer doesn't have enough USBs, yeah. they'll just plug in a couple of extra mics, maybe, <laughs> maybe a keyboard yeah. or a yeah. um, USB flashlight, just to kind of really get the computer to a stable place. Yeah. What I've been telling myself, this, this quiet, comforting voice in my head all the way through this has been... Okay, well, it's a silly attachment, but you can always just do it on screen or assign it to your preferred <laughs> MIDI controller. And now, what it looks like may be the case is that you actually can't. And yeah. that this thing will be an active obstacle to music making. <laughs> it is. How much? I'm scared to ask my, but how much money are they trying to take in exchange for this? It's a good block? question, and I think it's three forty-nine. There had better be a decimal point before the forty-nine. <laughs> Let's just. I'll I will check this because this is actually a relevant point. Let me just <laughs> a relevant point on our podcast, Mike. I'm not sure we're we're qualified for one of those. Yeah, it's 390 euros. I think it's three four nine dollars. Wow, that's a lot for a plugin, anyway. I mean, you could get something like the new Zynaptic plugin, which is actually good as well <laughs> for that money without any silly dongle ones. Yeah, but for parody, this is the gift that keeps on giving. I mean, you look <laughs> the, the ridiculous Sweetwater video is funny in its own right, just because he's trying to make a virtue out of something that is so clearly a crock of shit. But then you go to the manufacturer's video and this is where it just, it gets even better. Oh, okay. We'll, we'll link it. We'll link I'll it. I'll give you some quotes here, right? One of the designers basically says that a lot of it is an, actually an analogue device. At the time, they didn't have much digital stuff and the digital was kind of a buzzword at the time. And so part of the reason they put digital on it and said it was digital A was just to kind of keep up with the trends. He's like, uh, like your stupid <laughs> hardware controller is, in fact. And he's trying to make it out that, that, you know, times have changed and that actually, no, we know what we're doing now. Wow. Another designer comes out with another classic one, which is, um, he's speaking in a language that I don't understand, but it's subtitled. And the subtitles are, I think it's really cool how it reminds you of the 80s, when everything was analogue and when the original unit was made. There's something very credible about that. 
Now, I can't think of a single decade that is less credible than the 80s. Furthermore, in the 80s, everything was about making things digital. It was exactly the opposite of what he said. Well, yeah, and, and after having just said that they were desperate to make it look digital. <laughs> so I got, they, they should have had a quick team meeting before making that video. Just... I mean, I wonder whether the person who made the video actually just had no knowledge of the subject at all. Because another choice quote that they pick out of context <laughs> is, what I really like about it is how you can have mun- multiple instances using just one device. Um, what, like every other plugin? Well, yeah, wait, 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 wait. Or even better, if it's the hardware he's talking about, that you can have multiple in-place and control it just from one bit of hardware. Um, isn't that like a good product, like Novation's Automap stuff, <laughs> that you could do that with every plugin you have, rather yeah, than just yeah, yeah. the stupid Rather than this bespoke one. bit of... Mm. Everything about it is so rubbish, I think it is a worthy winner of the Straight to Landfill Award. Why are we taking away flexibility? Why are we <laughs> reducing options in ways that just don't have to be... Oh, it makes it makes me want to start a religion. It does. Just just <laughs> against this sort of thing. A single core belief. Which is okay, the first commandment of Johnism, you you were here, is guys, can we please not? Testify! <laughs> we, okay, thank you. I'm I am so glad <laughs> this has come through onto our this news. It's such desk. an entertaining news moment. Here's the other thing. If you have found your way to owning one of these. Please do let us know how wonderful it is. How to... it could be any use at all. <laughs> Please tell us a use. <laughs> a use. Just the one. We'll, we'll take. We'll take one. Yeah. There you go. Maybe you can put it over your QWERTY keyboard's <laughs> numeric keypad just to stop you spilling coffee in it. <laughs> doorstop. If it gets thinner at one end, let's say doorstop. I think it's too light to be a doorstop. Actually, it's useless even for that. Yeah. I. Yeah. I'm done with it. I'm, it's, <laughs> it's taking up more headspace than it should have done. <laughs> Silly people. After so much evidence of <laughs> obvious face palming in the professional community and the marketing of products at large, mm-hmm. we come down to the prize-winning face palm of the month <laughs> oh, God. from our very own John Whitley. It is time to demonstrate that we can't do any better. Um, so <laughs> his particular face palm comes to you courtesy of, of last summer. All right. I was playing a really, really lovely gig in the north of England in some um, ornamental gardens. It's a beautiful, beautiful garden. Gardens, quite a small gig. It was, oh, it was nice, and I was playing guitar for a singer. Um, me and him, and a cellist, and a, and a, and a drummer. Yeah. And it was just what well, you get so little of as a touring musician, Mike. It was classy. Yeah, it sounds classy. It was a cello. There, there was a, there was a cello there. Yeah, like none of us had visible tattoos. <laughs> um, there were there were like candles all over the garden and oh and, right yeah yeah like some like floating candles Blimey. in things of water and the stage was all nice and clean and didn't have LX tape all over it. Mm. It was this was this an outdoor situation, and um, rather than those little plastic bottles of water, they'd given us kind of glasses and jugs, yeah. which didn't have lids. Blimey! Yeah, that turned out to be a mistake. <laughs> oh right. Um, <laughs> Too classy for its own good. <laughs> too classy, too classy for this group of musicians. Anyway, <laughs> so the stage setup was pretty bare, but you know it was well done. It was a guitar, a couple of pedals, and mics and pickups and stuff, and these jugs of water. And there were no tables. Oh no, because that would mess up the minimalist look. Uh, <laughs> so these jugs. I feel the Ely of Doom <laughs> approaching. <laughs> 
I didn't. I didn't. I just thought, how lovely. You know, we've got jugs of water with kind of lemon and cucumber and mint or whatever in them. This is, I, sh- I should have worn a nicer shirt sort of thing. And as had to happen, as the gods ordained mm. should happen, mm. halfway through a gentle, quiet song, I kick over my jug of water um, <laughs> as we were playing. Now, it's behind a monitor. So this is not immediately obvious to the audience. Oh, right. Nor is it entirely full. So this slow, vindictive flood starts heading out. And, and I see it. I, I don't... I don't. It's like the blob. <laughs> exactly. Right, right, yeah. Mm-hmm. And I spot it. And I, I don't want to stop the music because it's quite a lot of water and we'll have to get someone up to clean it. So I, I start trying to block it with my feet, Mike, in the, in the context of I'm standing up playing guitar, so I, I have a bit of wonder room. I can kind of move out of it. I try to gently swish it with my feet back across the stage, just away from anything electronic. Um, and I... I don't know what kind of demented ballet it looks like I'm taking part in at this point. It's the water music. What exactly? River dance. I was what I was trying yeah. to channel. Um, it reaches its very worst point when the water gets as far as the singer. The singer sees what I am trying to do vis a vis mopping with shoes. And he is forced, as it gets closer to a bundle of wires, to sort of join in. To kind of just take a casual little step forward. A pardon de. <laughs> trying to use his feet as a dam to kind of stop it from getting you all end up looking like kind of Egyptians in, in relief you know because you've got your feet all exactly. lined up <laughs> feet lined up and moved around as this water with its delicious lemon and cucumber and, and mint and probably strawberries just to kind of add insult to injury do you see like a bit of cucumber floating merrily past <laughs> A mint leaf. With a smirk. Yeah. <laughs> a smirk on its stupid, smug yeah. face. <laughs> and eventually, oh God, eventually the song ends. Yeah. And this is my second face palm in the row, which seems to kind of culminate with a glare from a singer I'm working for. Dual face palm. <laughs> Dual face palm. And he does a bit of banter while I run off and find a towel and then very subtly oh, get it all up. That sounds like a bad one. It was. It's always bad, isn't it, where you've got this kind of facepalm situation that you can see it coming and has that kind of creeping sense. It's like when you're when you're in a recording session, you see a mic stand slowly drooping. Oh, yep, yep. Mid-take. You know, you've got to work out what's the point at which you make a break for it and you, you try and do something about it and how <laughs> far on. do you compromise the experience of what's going mm-hmm. on for the audience. Mm-hmm. You can't kick it over and go, oh my God, it's just all oh, going to just stop oh, everything and clear it all up because yep. that will be even worse. Mm-hmm. And, then, and then it slowly draws you further away from a tenable position <laughs> <laughs> until the point at which you find yourself in a much worse position than you are. You, you kind of stand and they're looking like something from an Egyptian relief. Yes. Or you kind of get to a point where you slip over on it then or you, you, <laughs> you forget to play something or you come in the wrong place and then it all goes completely wrong and it gets worse than it was at the beginning. Yeah. It's the true Mr Bean situation, isn't it? It was no fun at all, Mike. It's what it was. <laughs> That's a good one. I like that. That's cheered my day. It's what I tell myself as to why I can't have nice things. Yeah. <laughs> when, I, when I do wonder about that, I remember that that happened. You'll kick them over. And I will, I will kick them onto the ground yeah. is the reason why I can't have nice things yeah yeah yeah. (laughs) now since last month we have been deluged we have been under an avalanche of of questions flooded we have been flooded by your desperate requests for our assistance your pleas for our wisdom and what has been playing on our listeners minds clearly this month are recording matters recording matters there has been disagreement about what is 
the most difficult and challenging instrument to record. I mean, this stuff goes on at the highest level. It does. It does. Uh, like Al Schmidt and Ed Cherney. I was reading two interviews of those guys, and I think it was Al Schmidt saying the most difficult instrument to record is the piano. Mm. And then Ed Cherney going, well, Al Schmidt says it's the piano, but I think it's vocals. Yeah, fiery debates. So this discussion is happening on the highest levels, and even higher than their level is what we're going to deal with now. I was going to say, and I'm excited to set it to rest, yeah. once and for all, with the definitive answer to this question. The true experts. As per, as per Project Studio Tea Break. So what's your opening salvo, Mike? What are you going to chuck out there as your, as your first? Well, I don't think piano's that difficult, honestly. <laughs> I d- I, I'm, maybe I just don't have... Well, I know I don't have Al Schmidt's high standards, but I just don't really have trouble with it. As long as the piano is an all right piano, and it's not like Al Schmidt ever has to record the <laughs> rubbish upright in some school practice In the room. back room of a bar. You pretty much stick a couple of mics in it and stick a couple of mics a bit further away, mix those together, and you'll be fine. I just don't see what the problem is. Not to put you on blast, but you did get a long, extensive cover article on Sound on Sound on how to record acoustic pianos. So it can't be that simple because you got like 5,000 words out of it. Well, I did. I I milked it for everything it was worth. But honestly, it's not rocket science, I don't think. It's such a big instrument. Mm. There's so much stuff making noise. Mm. There are lots of places that sound any good on it. And usually it's much more important what they're playing I mean, you've got to think about the balance of the different areas of the register. Yeah. But that's not too difficult. And even with, like, cheap mics. I mean, a couple of cheap Omnis. Yeah. You can do wonders with acoustic piano. I just, it just never seems to cause me a problem whenever I... It's always other instruments that cause me problems, not that. So I disagree with piano. What do you think? I've only recorded pianos a couple of times. So I, th- I think there's a huge range of sounds you can get out of a piano with subtle differences. But I'm kind of with you in that I sort of like all of them. Mm. Like, it, it's hard to record a piano with a couple of halfway decent yeah. mics and have someone go, Oh, God, oh, what have you done to that? That high-quality piano in a nice room sounds awful because of where you put the microphones. Yeah. Um, in a way that I've definitely managed to achieve... Uh, with an acoustic guitar, you know. Yeah, now acoustic guitar, I'll join you on. I think acoustic guitar is a lot trickier. I struggle mostly with the boom. Yeah. Now, especially if I'm going live, if someone hasn't got an electroacoustic and I'm just recording an acoustic guitar, getting enough enough signal out of it without just getting that sound hole hurricane of, yeah. of boom. And certainly that's the biggest problem I usually get when people send me stuff that they've recorded for, for mix, mixing purposes that isn't live, is that they follow a live micing setup, which you have to have it in front of the sound hole because that's where you get the most acoustic power out of mm. it. But they take that into the studio right. and then you just get something that's all pick noise and boom and nothing else. Whoa, 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 whoa. Yeah. yeah. So no, I do get that. But even if... I think it's just because it's such a complicated instrument. Anything with a wooden body sends frequencies out in such an unpredictable way. Mm. From one guitar to the next, I just never know whether it's going to work. How it's actually going to go. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've recorded quite a lot of acoustic guitars. I've recorded them on their own as well, where it's much more critical. But even there, it's not easy work, mm. but I find that you know, can usually find some kind of solution to it. Mm. You know, it's not that difficult. Again, uh, any decent pair of mics, you can get something that sounds pretty reasonable. You might have to move it around a bit. You might have to try a few different mic positions. I mean, you could you, you kind of do like a cross pair or a little space pair or you could kind of put one above, one below. You could try that kind of stuff. And it's not... I just don't think it's tremendously difficult. The one thing I would okay, say with so- acoustic guitar is just don't have mics that are spaced like three feet apart. Right, because, what, because you don't want to get a stereo image out of a guitar. 
basically when the player moves, it just mucks with the phase response. Oh, okay. It's much better if you just keep your mics comparatively close together for the main set. Mm. But yeah, acoustic guitar, I get acoustic guitar. That is quite a tricky quite one. Quite a tricky one, but I think, I think we can do better. Do you think vocals are difficult? Vocals for me are similar to the piano. That If you've got a decent singer and an SM58 and they don't point it at their ass, then, <laughs> then you'll get a very usable sound. There are engineers who can get a particular flavour with, you know, mic positioning and mic... I once got to have a little tour of a Michael Bublé vocal mic setup, which, oh, was, right. which wow. was really good fun. Fabulous. Um, the wonderful man himself wasn't there, to my eternal disappointment. Without exaggeration, there were there were ten microphones. Right, so they were doing a shootout then. He had this lovely old ribbon microphone that he was singing into, mm-hmm. and then just this constellation <laughs> of mics at different distances pointing in at him. One's kind of coming from down low, some that were like basically just above his head. Yeah. And, and the engineer telling me that almost all of them would get some kind of appearance in the and vocal sound. Yeah. I don't know, what do you feel about voices? The thing is that, unlike most instruments, you can't really have two microphones on a vocal at once. It's very, very difficult to do that just because the singer moves around mm. and the, the sound is so upfront that any kind of phase issues between the microphones as they move around would be difficult for the actual sound that you put together. So it's very difficult to use any more than one mic to start with. Right. And as long as you actually use your ears when you're placing the mic, you can head off a lot of problems with like sibilance and plosives and things like that and the particular tone. Mm. But fundamentally, the main decision is which mic you use. Because certain mics will suit certain singers and as long as you try out a few mics, you usually head off that one mic in your collection that's going to sound horrible on a certain singer. As long as you don't use that one, then the real job... I mean, the thing is that recording vocals is really difficult... It's the recording process, not the actual technicality of it. Producing vocals and getting the takes and doing all that kind of stuff, that's really difficult. Mm. But I think that's so the least important bit of recording vocals. So I feel like the lesson we're kind of really honing in on Mm. is that recording stuff's easy (laughs) and recording engineers have been taking us for a ride for all these years. I mean, I think where recording gets really difficult is not when you've got a single instrument on its own. Mm. And I think that does apply across the board, is that when you, the moment you get any instruments together, then you start getting into real issues of the mics begin to really matter a lot more, the quality of the microphones, mm. and how those instruments interact and the spill that goes between the mics. That's, that's a real issue. Yeah. But I think there are some instruments that are genuinely really... I was trying to think of the most difficult one. The most difficult one I can think of is actually the string bass, the upright bass. Interesting. What's that? And on several different counts. One is that in Project Studios, the low end is always a challenge, either because your listening environment doesn't really represent it very well, mm. or because there are resonances or whatever in the recording room. Either there's a resonance on the floor and, the, and a bass will set it off because it's got its spike stuck in the floor. <laughs> or there'll, there'll often be resonances in the room. There's a resonance in the instrument around 70 hertz. Mm. Rooms um, in Project Studios, they often have a, like a two and a half metre ceiling, which puts their main primary floor ceiling room resonance around the same kind of frequency range. Right. So it's very easy with upright bass to get horrendous resonance problems where certain notes absolutely go through the roof and other notes seem quite dead. Mm. Also, by nature, the instrument, when it goes down to its low range, the fundamentals of the notes go below the resonant frequency of the cavity of the instrument. The cavity of the instrument, to some extent, is too small for the frequency range it covers. Interesting. So the lowest notes, you know, from about 60 hertz or 70 hertz downwards, and it goes down to like 40 hertz, okay. potentially. But that 40 to 60 hertz region is often underplayed. So you often have to deal with that then with EQ afterwards to try and get as much of that as you can. Okay, yeah, you have to bring that out. But then on top of all that, so you've not only got this kind of difficult whole resonance thing at the bottom, and that's one of the most challenging things to try and get it actually even. Mm. But then the player will often move. 
Okay. So that makes it difficult to then get a, a mic so that it will stay consistent. There's often quite a lot of mechanical noise, and mechanical noise is quite difficult to deal with, particularly if you're trying to get close to the instrument. That'll get overemphasized by the mic. Is that from, from moving around, or is that just kind of bow clacking? And... Well, it's from the strings slapping against the instrument, from maybe right. just, just the actual finger noise on the instrument itself. There's the difficulty if they change playing styles. You know, if they go from like pizzicato through to through to to arco, yeah. Then all of a sudden, the sound can make no sense on one <laughs> where it makes sense on the other one. Interesting. It's difficult because it's such a big instrument, and with big instruments, if you get close to them, you tend to spotlight only one aspect of their sound. It's a wooden-bodied instrument as well, so it has all the same problems that acoustic guitar has in terms of sending frequencies all over the place. So you often find yourself then, okay, well, I'm, I'm maybe I'll try and multi-mark it to get more of the sound of the instrument, and then he's moving around and you get phase problems. <laughs> <laughs> and in, in a band environment, it's almost certainly the trickiest instrument to record. Well, you can't really record it cleanly in any kind of band scenario. No, no. And even if you really try and baffle it off, I mean, I did a session recently where I really kind of built a tent around the guy. Even then, you're getting almost unusual levels of spill from the rest of the band. So you have to like rely on the DI a lot or maybe send it out to an amp to try and get a bit more level. But acoustically, it's very difficult when it's playing with other instruments then because of the, the balance between the instruments. Interesting. So it's on lots of different levels, that's probably the most challenging instrument for me to catch. I can see that being a bit of a nightmare. Yeah, I've never had to record a live double bass and now I will avoid them like the plague. Uh, to be honest, I've done several sessions now where I've had a, a live upright string bass player in the room with the band. And I'm almost to the point now where either I'm going to build a proper booth around him in the room yeah. or I'm going to put him in a separate room because it just makes it really difficult when you're mixing hmm. just yeah. because of the acoustic imbalance in the room. I mean, I, I, every time I say to the band, well, look, we're going to get loads of spill on the bass mic unless we make sure that the drummer doesn't play too loud. But there's only so far. And, and you know, if, if there's a saxophonist in the same room, they're bloody loud too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the sax then sounds echoey because you're using the bass mic. So it's always mm -hmm. a juggling match then trying to mix the thing because you have to turn the bass mics up whenever the bass is important and then turn them down again whenever anything else comes in. Otherwise, it washes it out. This is sound like a great rockabilly band, though. This kind of drum, saxophone, double bass thing that's happening. <laughs> I, 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 well, I'm... they play all sorts of stuff. They're like a covers band, so they do all sorts of different styles. They sound like fun. They're, they're a great bunch of people. Yeah. No, okay, I hear you. So the one I have most trouble with, it's not a very well-known instrument, but it's, it's, it's my bloody hammer dulcimer again. Well, it's because you weren't using a dick mic, that's why. <laughs> yeah. That's part of the issue. Yeah. But it's it's horrible. It's, so it's wooden bodied. It doesn't have a sound hole. So engineers ask me where it fires sound. I tend to just reply, it doesn't fire sound. It oozes it in all directions. Which and it's quite quiet as well. It can be played loud, but yeah, for the most part, it wants to be played quiet. The A lot of sympathetic strings, I mean, the, all the strings behave as sympathetic strings. There's no damping on it. Yeah. A lot of the places where you might want to get a mic, you can't because... So, so it does mostly fire up. It mostly fires away from that, that top surface. Yeah. And I need yeah. to have my sticks there. So I need about 10 inches clear above all the strings. And I can't have any arms of any mic stands coming in where I need my elbows, where I need my arms. Clearance, yeah. Very picky like that. And I need clear visuals yeah, yeah, yeah. of the entire board. Yeah, yeah, um, no, I get that completely. So, Do you get problems of it sounding spindly, getting too much of the stick noise and not enough of the sustain of these strings? Yes. Right. The, the one advantage of it is that it doesn't move. Yes. So you can get a bunch of different mics up there. That's a big advantage. And, and, and not have to worry about that. A lot of the time, we'll have one mic on the bass strings, which is the bottom right, and that will get far too much stick sound, but it's the only way to kind of boost the bass frequencies up. Yeah. And then just to kind of a spaced pair four feet above it. 
ish, which is less for the stereo image and more just kind of for catching the strings on the left and on the right. But also I think it does, even if it's not a clear stereo image of strings panning left to right, generally instruments like that, you experience them a little bit in stereo when you listen to them acoustically. And I always think, this is why I always record acoustic guitar in stereo, because it always seems to me to sound more realistic when it has a little bit of stereo width to it, even if it's not like panning all over the place. Mm. See, I, I've had that debate with engineers. I prefer it to be basically mono and then put some sort of stereo reverb on it because okay. the way the the way the strings are arranged mm. it's not like this very comforting piano thing where you get low on the left and high on the right yeah yeah i have kind of generally low on the right and high on the left but all the accidentals are on the far right okay so if you listen to it in stereo then anytime there's an accidental it'll just come out of nowhere it'll come out of far far right fields oh right that makes no sense at all does it no and, and when you listen to it from a distance it all just kind of blends in yeah so you you don't have to worry about that if you listen to it live yeah okay that's interesting i mean I, it makes me quite intrigued to actually try recording it <laughs> <laughs> i guess my problem solving we'll, we'll, we'll get a session together soon definitely definitely well you're, you're not far up in berlin i'm gonna Absolutely get up there at some point aren't i i think i think you must i think it's necessary it does sound um, tricky actually it seems to have some of the trickiness that I, i've uh, had with things like congas oh yeah where you get slap and you get this huge great boom and you get no tone from the instrument at all none of the actual middle tone where do you find the tone on congas again i would tend to just get a bit more distant from them mm. the problem is that people tend to get too close and then they get loads of proximity effect, and they get loads of slap, and they get nothing else. Right. To be honest with the dulcimer, I would be quite tempted to use ribbons. Right. Try and get in close with ribbons. You know, I haven't tried that. I haven't tried that. That's, that's... Ah, you see? Well, there you go. An interesting... <laughs> I have another trick. Now that we've laid that important question to rest, <laughs> it's time for... What's your jam? What's your jam? didn't have the foley ready but here, here it is that's a very resonant piece of toast you have there it, it doesn't sound much like toast let me, let me try let me try with a bit damping it's a buzzy piece of toast <laughs> Okay, okay. Well, it's good. We can argue till we're blue in the face about what the best toast foley is, but I think we've we've nailed the worst one. <laughs> I think we. I had such high hopes for that one. I thought, you know what, John? This idea for toast foley is so good. I don't even need to try it out before I suggest it to Mike and then do it on our podcast. <laughs> and um, and I stand by that. I stand by that decision. The joy of live podcasting, ish. Ish. <laughs> okay, it's time for the for the jam. Yeah, the toast heralds in the jam. So yeah, what so what have you been enjoying? What's your what are you going to turn us on to today? I wanted to to start with a little bit of a retrospective because what I've got for you is not just a song. It is not just a jam. It's 2018's summer jam. All right, sound of the summer, the barbecue soundtrack. <laughs> and before we dive too deep in. I wanted to know, what, what is the first summer jam you remember? And this isn't just a song that's popular during the summer. This is one that, that soundtracks beach visits, that soundtracks, you know, hot cars and oh, wow. water balloon fights, you know, whatever, whatever else you get up to during the summer. Oh, I reckon it would have to be something like the whiskey and rye one. Um, this will be the day that I die. That's Dougie McLean, isn't it? Good old boys are drinking whiskey and rye and singing this will be the that, day that I die. That's a tune. That that's a hell of a tune. Dates me, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> um, does, do, do you have any particular summer memories soundtracked by that, by that tune? 
I remember p- playing pool on summer evenings for far too long oh, to that tune. That's a very cinematic memory right there. You as a, as a pool room shark. It is, it is. To it's... that incredible tune. <laughs> I, think, I think it is Dougie McLean. It is, yeah. My very first that I can remember, I was living in the United States at the time, and it was Steal My Sunshine by Len. Have you come across this one? I know, it's up to me. You steal my sunshine, making sure I'm not into... Oh, yeah, no, I know that one. Still... Yeah, steal my sunshine. Yeah, definitely know that one. Yeah. Oh, you know, there's another one, another classic one. I'll do you an impression of it. It's the... Yeah. the Who's it wrong with you? <laughs> I know the one. You know the one. <laughs> the one just from that. I know the one from your fantastic kick drum side chain pumping impression there. Uh, it was good for a first ten. It was, it was just on the spot. I feel like of the that's why people tune in to hear to hear us imitating <laughs> beatboxing top forty hall of famers. Um, that was a totally summer smash. Ab- that absolutely. Was. I mean, I, I, so in preparation because I I respect our listeners so much. I did a little look into the the history of summer number ones and it, it, it right. isn't just a marketing thing like the song that kind of gets up there at the beginning of the summer will tend to have a longer run for its money than, than other number ones all right because, that's interesting you know people will listen to it all summer it will become the soundtrack to the summer so whether that's summer anthem ab summer anthem the tune that's what i'm talking about so okay let, let's see let's see how in touch with youth culture you are what was last year's <laughs> <laughs> what was last year's what was what was, what was um, the 2017 summer anthem Oh, I was going to... Uh, it could almost be Despacito. It was absolutely Despacito, Mike. Oh, well, there you go. That was... That was... Oh, <laughs> finger on the pulse of last, last summer. <laughs> it, was, it was everywhere. It was so impossibly everywhere. Oh, it's all over the place, wasn't I it? I mean, I, I like it. Me and my daughter are often listening to the radio in the car, mm. and we'll often say to the other one, Oh, it's another Despacito bandwagon. <laughs> there are a few, aren't there? So many of the things that are doing that. They really are. But of course, 1996 saw the first Latin crossover. Despacito is doing nothing new. Is it Vida Loca? It, it's not. It's the Macarena. Oh, okay. Course. Despacito is a bandwagon <laughs> jumper of its own. They are just wishing. If only you could see us, listeners, doing the synchronised <laughs> dance. In perfect, perfect unison, while keeping our faces a uniform distance from our microphones. It's, it's a talent. It's impressive. That's what they teach in engineering school. <laughs> So yeah, Despacito is just a bandwagon jumper of its own. I'm not convinced there's anything new under the sun. Mm. Yeah, you're right. That wasn't a great couple of years, though. Because the Macarena didn't really mean anything. I mean, it, it, it's a name. It's inextricably linked to Saturday night. Wigfield Saturday night, in my mind. I mean, I was, I was seven at the time. So I wasn't, I wasn't clubbing as hard as I could have been. <laughs> <laughs> Lightweight. <laughs> I was a late bloomer, I'll be the first to admit. I was already playing pool. <laughs> but the year after the Macarena, obviously songwriters of the world got together and were like, okay, we can't. We, we have to have a song that means something now. We, we can't just keep on shouting out nonsense words and calling them summer anthems. Mm. <laughs> then came Mbop, the very next year. Oh, yes. Oh, blimey, this is the halcyon days. I mean, Hanson is still around, of course. It's, no. They weren't just prepubescent. Hanson are still around. Yeah, I saw a video not long ago of a grown-up Hanson playing something that was nowhere near as good as Mbop. <laughs> Mbop was basically their one hit. And it's, I really like Mbop. I think it's a great song. And they performed it well. It was just at the right time in their careers to do that. Mm-hmm. And it was, it was kind of cute. And it was feel good. It was yeah, it was great. That was a fantastic song. I really do rate that song. How how can they still be around though? Mbop was in 1997, which means by now they must 
They must be nearly 10. That's <laughs> at least. They could possibly least. be legal already. Fast approaching puberty, no less. Hanson at the wheel. <laughs> exactly. I, I, don't, I don't think that's a world I'm ready to live in. You can say anything to those kinds of voters. So you can say mbop <laughs> and, they'll... and they'll, they'll dance to that tune as well yeah. as any other one. All of this is prologue, though. Yeah, okay, right. I want to tell you what this year's summer <laughs> anthem is. You've got the hot gossip. You know what the tastemakers have prescribed for us. I may be attempting to do a bit of prescribing myself. Oh, right, right. Because there's still something of an open field. Yeah. Um, I'm ready to put forward for this year's summer anthem, yeah. Zephyro Torna by Monteverdi. <laughs> It's okay. Okay, I knew this was going to be a tough sell, but this particularly by the Larpeggiata Ensemble. All right, right. There, there is no more sparkly, upbeat, down for like a good ass time song than than this that I've heard in so long. And I, I I need to get you on board for this so that there can at least be two campaigners. Okay, so win me over. Okay, you've got um, a soprano and a countertenor playfully singing back and forth about how the summer winds have returned. Mm. It's the experience of watching two puppies playing in a sunny garden. Yeah. If well, puppy videos, it's very on trend. Very, very on fleek at the moment. Um, but both <laughs> these puppies are ninjas and ballet dancers, just sort of doing Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, spinning around each other sort of thing. This will, this will absolutely be a link on our Twitter. They've got a great performance video <laughs> up on YouTube. How do I make this happen? Because it's not, it's not topping the billboard at the moment. Wow. Mike, I'll be honest. I think the video is clearly the way forward, I would say. Yeah? I mean, you've got all the ingredients of a viral smash there. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got the ninja bit. I mean, that'll bring in the, the youth boy. You can get a bit of ballet in. That'll bring in the, the preteen girls. Yep, completely. You've got the puppies. I mean, that's universal in its appeal, really, isn't it? Great. Monteverdi, you might get some Italians. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> they just, they'd like being mentioned yeah. more than anything else. I know what you could do. You could do the, the, the Hollywood trick where they basically make any old film and they repackage it as a remake of something that was successful. Okay, okay. So they get the remake vote. So you could say, oh, well, this is a, a sequel to um, O Sole Mio or <laughs> if you've seen Nessun Dorma, just when you thought it was safe, we bring you Monteverdi. <laughs> if you want Nessun Dorma more... Yeah. Then, then this is this is where you have to go. Well, there's that one that's in the best-selling songs of all time. Uh, you know that Italian one, um, uh, Valare. Oh yes. Okay. Is that one of the best-selling singles of all time? I mean, the, the list is changing all the time, but uh, yeah, it's been hugely, hugely successful. Wow. I mean, also the whole issue of it being a guy singing in a high voice. I mean, that is you almost never see that now. <laughs> it was yeah. basically Prince and Jimmy Somerville had that tied up. Chris Martin has his own take on it. Yeah, but it's not that same kind of obvious contralto sound. No, that's true. And you can't even say, I mean, there's the guy from Pentatonix who has a really, really high voice. He's a natural countertenor. That's a selling point. That could be one of those kind of shock factors. Yeah, that could be part of the clickbait, isn't it? Okay, yeah, no, I, I think so. I mean, it starts off and you think it's a couple of women singing and then all of a sudden, shock horror, it's some guy with a big bushy Civil War beard. <laughs> going, ah! Well, we'll look into whether whether I can ask him to grow one of those for you know for the live shows. Maybe like I mean, Greatest Showman has just been a big success. Mm. Maybe both of them could have beards. Amazing, amazing idea. Tie another tie-in. You see, everyone in beards. Let's just have beards across the stage. You can never have too many beards. I don't think he said being being cleanly shaved. <laughs> <laughs> I had to, I actually had to touch my chin to check just then. That's how disorganised <laughs> I am at the moment. I wasn't sure that I had a beard. Listeners, I have a short beard. Yeah. It's, it's kind of fine. It's in need of a bit of a trim. Okay, so though, though we have been japing around 
Go listen to this song. It's so gorgeous. Just put it on headphones, strap on your rollerblades, grab a bottle of Sunny D. Go fly <laughs> with this piece. Feel like you're in Monteverdi's era when Sunny D was king. <laughs> And we are coming to the close now of this month's podcast. Incredibly sad to say. We have time, though, to thank this month's sponsor. Don't know where we'd be without them. This is Wear and Tear. It's a new service from Legitimacy Crafts. All right. Have you got a flight case or... I have a few, yeah. yeah. And you know that awkward stage after you first got them when they look all clean Mm. and they look all pristine and anyone seeing you will be like, they're not a real musician. Yeah. They're just some hobbyist. Don't trust a plumber with clean tools. Exactly, exactly. All the gear, no idea. Yes. That sort of thing. So what Wear and Tear will do for you, they'll give it that lived-in experience. Their experienced artisans will... Kind of pre-stressed. Pre-stressed, a couple of scuffs, lots of stickers, Uh, which they'll put on, rub off most of the way until there's just kind of that sticky glue stuff left, Mm -hmm. which stays on it forever. (laughs) Basically, give real-life experience to your flight case. Yeah. The metal edges will have little nicks in them, which which are really sharp, and occasionally bash against your ankles and take out a bit of skin. (laughs) Um, and, And you will look present and feel like the rock star you know you are. Well, I mean, the precedent is clear. I mean, the fashion industry has been selling ripped jeans for years. <laughs> Decades. Why shouldn't we have pre-stressed flight cases? That's the question that Legitimacy Crafts was asking. It's been a niche waiting to be filled. Absolutely, it has. There is even um, distressed interior decorating. I don't know if you've come across this. When people buy prefabricated uh, mansions... What, what, what have been come to be called muck mansions. They will have people in who will draw, you can look it up, who will draw hairline cracks <laughs> in the ceiling, who will draw very light water staining. What we'll does make it look lived in? You're kidding me. I, it's quite something. It's quite Whoa. something. So given that that's actually real, I think that's we can all agree that Legitimacy Crafts is at least believable. <laughs> so a huge thank you to them for supporting us this month. And uh, let's hope that they branch out into audio interfaces and uh, microphones. <laughs> I mean, so that you can get a new microphone and have it look like a vintage model. Absolutely. Abs- and then mm. cables. I mean, the, the value will go up. I mean, you get a new U87 and get it all looking stressed. <laughs> you can sell it as a vintage. This this is the world we live in. I would love a world where all of my all of my cables had that weird, bumpy, slightly wavy thing <laughs> of having been rolled over by an office chair a few too many times. But I take very good care of them, so they look really boringly fine. Amateur. Amateur. This is this is what I feel. This is what I say to myself in the bathroom mirror <laughs> every morning. There's a, there's a little insight too far. <laughs> <laughs> let's, let's bring it back around we are we are online you can check us out on facebook at facebook.com forward slash pstb books on twitter fabulous at uh, twitter.com forward slash pstb tweets uh, and what's the website there mike it is projectstudioteabreak.com and our email address is tbreak at projectstudioteabreak.com delicious just for people who don't already have too much RSI for typing long email addresses (laughs) and the Patreon site is now up and running we have extras galore we've got the bits that were too funny to put into the regular podcast too funny for podcasts the EU kind of like mountain (laughs) information about my my first mixed rescue oh my Um, goodness lots of examples of podcasting professionalism Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. no end Uh, our company non grata of the month was there as well <laughs> I've got some of the notes that we made we have the Ludovico Einaudi grudge match oh that's still waiting a resolution lots to enjoy um, so until next time um, stay safe look after yourselves I'm trying to remember if we have a sign off what a pro bye bye <laughs>